Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at the life of Abraham. You know, this last week, I don't know, or 2012 is the, the new year, and people have started talking about the Mayans uh, calendar, right? You know, it kind of runs out in 2012, and did they make a prediction? Is the, is the world going to end in 2012? And all of this other stuff, and I've been reading articles, things on, on the internet and email and stuff like that, that, there's, that this topic about the Mayan calendar is, is a huge topic, whether you're a believer or non-believer or whatever. And so here's what I did, just to give you some information. This last week, I read through all of their predictions. They never predict that the world's going to end in 2012. But here's what they do predict. That Cher will do one more farewell tour. So, <laughs> but anyway, how many can you do? But anyway, that's going to happen. So, uh, so that had nothing to do with the sermon. I just felt like saying it. So, and so lights are coming on and off. I don't know if I shouldn't have said that. So here we go, Genesis chapter 17, we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Now listen, we've been looking at Abraham's life, and, it, and we're going to continue to look at his life. We're going to talk to, this, talk to you this morning, I'm going to talk to you this year about prayer. Now listen, I know that when a pastor talks about prayer, really and truly, it doesn't fire a lot of people up. I mean, why is it that this issue of prayer, people just really don't connect with like they once did? I mean, you can have a large gathering on the weekend and you can announce a prayer service, a prayer time during the week, and a handful of people will show up. Why is it that we're getting to the place, contemporary Christians, modern Christians are getting to the place to where they, they no longer gravitate or understand the power of prayer that maybe some previous generations did? especially what comes out of Scripture. Now listen, we've been walking through Abraham's life like a biography because it... You see, the Bible is this. The Bible is so misunderstood so many times. The Bible is not a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. It's not what the Bible is. The Bible is God revealing himself to men and women and how they walked with him. It's the revelation of God. It's God revealing himself to men and women. And it's stories of men and women, how they came in contact with God, how they connected with God, how they walked with God, and how they made changes in their life as a result of being a God follower following him. People love stories, right? I mean, we love the stories, and sometimes we'll watch those shows behind the music, and we can learn who wrote the song and why they wrote the song and what was going on in their life. And it kind of gives the song meaning. I mean, we love biographies. We love stories of people. That's just the way we're wired, the way we're created. The NFL Network's doing... uh, 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 a, a history and life of some, some football coaches, some of the most popular coaches. And my wife, Karen, is not a, not a football fan at all. And she loves watching those, those stories with me, the behind the stories of the life of some popular coaches that we all know and, and, and have watched. Right now I'm, watching, I'm reading the book of Steve Jobs with Apple and, and how that whole came about and how his life is. And, and you know, you read this, the, these biographies and you feel like, you know what, you know them. We love stories about people, and we're reading a story about Abraham, a biography of his life. And we're going to talk to you today about this issue of prayer, but here's what we've learned about Abraham, right? I mean, we've learned that Abraham is not perfect. Abraham did some things that were wrong. There was some sin in Abraham's life. Abraham lied. He asked his wife to lie. Remember that? Not just once, but twice. There were times when Abraham doubted God in his life. He doubted the promises of God. There were some times when Abraham grew patient. And remember, we've talked about this, that, that be careful that in, in, in waiting on God, that, that in your impatience, that you do something that causes you negative consequences for like the rest of your life. 
That it's so dangerous when we get impatient and we quit. We get tired of waiting on God, so we just want to make it happen in our life. Abraham did that, and Sarah did that, and they came up with a plan, and, and they kind of forced the issue, and there were some consequences there. There were times when Abraham doubted God. The number of times that God came to Abraham and appeared to him and said, This is a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations and a great nation. And Abraham doubted, and Abraham had fear, and Abraham had issues. Why should that encourage us? i tell you why that should encourage us. It tells me that, guess what? God uses imperfect people. As a result, God can and desires to use you. And when you look at this life of these people in Scripture, you find that they were a lot like us. They had issues and they had struggles the same and they had thoughts the same that we did. But the good news is this, is that God uses imperfect people. We launched this series with this there's this scripture in Hebrews, Hebrews 11:6. that says, this is what faith is. Faith is basically two things. Faith, one, is knowing that God exists. It's believing that God exists. The second thing is this, and that he rewards those who seek him. That is what faith is. Faith is knowing that God exists and that he rewards those. Guess what? For you to pray. See, prayer is the natural expression of a believing heart. It's, it's normative. It's natural. For you to engage in prayer, his scripture would say for you to draw near to him, you've got to believe two things. You've got to believe, one, that God does exist. The second thing, you've got to believe that he is good, and he desires good for you, and that he rewards those who seek him and who follow him. You cannot have one without the other and still draw near to him. You have to have both. There has to be trust. There has to be a relationship. Three principles that we can pull out of Abraham's life about what is this issue of effective prayer. What does effective prayer look like? What does it mean? The first one is this. Effective prayer begins with a friendship with God. You will never draw near to someone that you do not trust. You will never draw near to someone that you do not believe has your best interest at heart. You, do not, you will never believe, draw near to someone unless there's this intimacy and there's a relationship. For the Bible says that Abraham was what? He was a friend of God. He had trust and he had a relationship. This issue of prayer begins with this relationship, this friendship, this trust. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 and the scripture says, When Abraham was 99 years old, and so that, that would make Sarah 89... So Abraham's 99, Sarah's uh, 89. When Abraham was 99 years old, God still hadn't fulfilled the promise, the dream that he had given Abraham and Sarah. His timetable was obviously different than theirs. And so he says, Oh, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. You first must believe what? God exists. And he appeared to him and says, I am God Almighty. Uh, Walk before me and be blameless that I may make a covenant between me and you, and watch this, and, and, and multiply you greatly, that God exists, and he rewards those that follow him. And watch what Abraham does. And Abraham fell on his face before him. He worshipped him. He drew near to him. He humbled himself. Now, all through the Old Testament and the New Scripture talks about when people came into the presence of God, they just fell face down in front of him. That's the problem that I have with a lot of the books that are being written now, even though they're New York Times bestsellers of people that have these, these, these eyewitnesses accounts of dying and, and going to heaven and walking around and sitting in Jesus' lap and doing all this other stuff. And 
Because the Bible says that when we come into the presence of God like that, we will fall face down because we know we're in his presence. This verse tells me after all of Abraham had accomplished and all that God had promised Abraham, that no matter how big you get, you still have to walk with God. No matter how big you get, what God does in your life, that's why they call it a Christian walk. That is a daily walk. That no matter where you get in life and no matter what you accomplish, how big or how small, you still have to walk with him daily. And Abraham, no different. Genesis 18.1 And so the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Manir as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes, Abraham, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. See, Abraham had walked with God long enough that there was such intimacy that Abraham knew this is a supernatural encounter. The closer you are with God, the easier it is to make, have an awareness during the day to where you know this is a God encounter. Something else is going on here. This just isn't a meeting. This just isn't an intersection in my life. This just isn't going through a routine. Something is happening. Abraham, a friend of God, had this relationship with him that he knew. This, these are supernatural visitors. So let's, let's just go on. And so standing in front of him, and when he saw them, he, Abraham ran from them and, and the tent of the door uh, to meet them. And here he is again. And he bowed down. He knew. I'm in the presence of God. I mean, he, he understood what was happening and what was going on. Verse, verse 3, and so Abraham said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. That should be a prayer we all pray. Just linger. Just speak to me. Out of your word and verse four and following, Abraham does something that was common of their culture and but still kind of strange when you realize he recognized it was God and supernatural visitors and all that. He practiced good hospitality. And he ran out of the tent and said, Let me fix you something to eat. Let's have a barbecue. And he went out and he slaughtered a cow and did some other things and, and prepared a meal. Can, can you imagine? God waits. God waits for Abraham to prepare the meal. Abraham, go ahead and do whatever you got to do. I'll be right here. Can I tell you this? God waits daily for you. To draw near to him. He desires that relationship with you. How long does he have to wait? Do you realize he, he desires to have that relationship with you? To where you open his word. And allow him to reveal himself to you through his word. And pray to him and connect with him. He desires to have that 
relationship with you. Verse 8, let's just move on. So then, then Abraham took the curds and the milk and the calf that he had prepared, and, he, and so now he's ready. And so he sat down before them, and he, he stood by them under the tree while they, while they ate. Verse 10, and then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Now this is the first time. See, up until this point, God had been just telling Abraham was kind of an open-ended promise. No deadline, no date. He said, Abraham, now you got a date. Maybe he just knew that Abraham, you know what? Abraham's struggling. Abraham needs a date. Abraham needs some more information. So, so God gives it to him, and he says, says, about this time next year, Sarah, your wife, uh, will, will, shall have a son. Here's, this is interesting. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Abraham wasn't aware Sarah was there. Let me ask you something. This was obviously Abraham's, whatever you want to call it, his quiet time, his time with the Lord, his worship time, his personal time with the Lord, prayer closet. I've heard it called all kinds of different things. But let me ask you this question. If your spouse listened in on your time with the Lord, what would they find? Would they find you have one? Would they be encouraged? See, Sarah was married to a man that had a time with the Lord, and she knew that he valued that time. And she's outside the tent, listening in on his time with the Lord. Verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. So remember Sarah 89, Abraham 99. The way of, of, of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah was obviously past the childbearing years. She had never been able to have a child. So Sarah heard what God said in a year she'd have a son. So it says, so Sarah laughed. Now listen, we know she did not believe God. You know why we know? You tell an 89-year-old woman, woman she's going to have a son, she will not laugh, laugh she will cry. <laughs> I had a lady come up to me Saturday night after the service and said, Pastor, i got to tell you, a 50-year-old woman would cry. I mean, you don't have to be 89 to cry over that. And so we know that Sarah did not believe God because she just laughed. She didn't cry. I mean, she wouldn't, like, she wouldn't say, oh, these are some consequences here. She, she began to laugh. So watch this. So she laughed to herself, important. See, Sarah, Abraham still doesn't know she's out there. But God heard her. God heard her thoughts. God heard her spirit. God, I mean, wasn't Jesus always responding to people's questions in their spirit, in their heart? These are the questions you're having. This is how I know. And he responded to them. And so she, she laughed to herself, saying, and then she's thinking these things. After I'm worn out and my, my Lord is old, shall, shall I have this pleasure? Verse 13, so the Lord says to Abraham, but listen, he's not talking to Abraham. He's now talking to Sarah, all right? So Abraham isn't tracking. He doesn't know Sarah's out there. He doesn't know Sarah laughed to herself. He doesn't know what Sarah said to herself. And now all of a sudden, God directs his attention, and he begins talking to Sarah. And so he says, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now watch this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Okay, here's the crazy thing about the Hebrew. That, that word, 
that we transliterated out hard, a more direct word when you look in a Hebrew dictionary would be wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord to do in your life? This has been a dream of Abraham and Sarah's. This wasn't, this was more than just a promise. Ever since Abraham and Sarah got married, they dreamed of the day that they would have a child. They, they couldn't have children for whatever reason. This was a dream of theirs. And God's asking the question, is anything too wonderful for me to do in your life? So you will never draw near to God unless, one, you believe that he exists and that he wants to do some wonderful things in your life. That's what God's trying to get them to understand. Is anything too wonderful for me to do in your life? I reward those who follow me, who seek me, who walk with me. Here's a disclaimer at the appointed time. So many people give up way too early because it's not on their time scale. And in that waiting period, they feel like God's forgotten about me and doesn't know who I am and what I'm going through. It says, at the appointed time. I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. This is so funny. But Sarah denied it. She's still outside the tent, saying, I did not laugh. (laughs) Here's the reason. Watch this. For she was afraid. Listen, the root of every lie is fear. The root issue. I don't care what the lie is. The root issue of every lie is fear. People pleasers will tell everybody around them exactly what they want to hear. Why? Out of fear. Fear of disappointment, uh, fear of approval, not getting the approval that they need, fear of upsetting someone. But there's other fears that are associated with lies. Fear of getting caught, fear of being transparent, fear of being honest, the fear of maybe hurting someone, the fear of maybe speaking something to someone's life and how they're going to respond. Listen, I'm telling you, the root issue of any lie that is ever told is this issue of fear at its core. But, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not lie, lie, for she was afraid. And then God said, no, but you did laugh. You know what that is called? Conviction. God wanted her to know. God, God, convicts, see, God convicts in specifics. Satan, Satan gives guilt. Satan speaks in, in general terms. He doesn't want you to know how to fix it. He doesn't want you to know how to change it. He just wants you to stay in the state of guilt. But God always speaks what? God always speaks in specifics. He says, Sarah, you lied. Scripture says, goes on, and we do not have time to walk through this, and I'm just going to give you a cursory. But, but Scripture says that the men, the visitors, decided to leave. But Abraham wasn't ready for them to leave. And he asked, can I walk with you that ever happened to you whether you're in a worship service or you're at home in your private time and 
you have opened the scripture and man, you're gleaning some things out of scripture and it's just like God has settled on you. And time begins to get away from you and you don't want it to end. This was Abraham. See, prayer begins with a friendship, a relationship with God and Abraham said, is there, is there just any way that I can walk with you? And Abraham began to walk with them, and they, they had this conversation. It's in that conversation that God told him that he was considering destroying Sodom. You see, God doesn't want just those crisis prayers. He is not the man upstairs. He is not the big guy in the sky. He is none of that. He is holy and he is righteous. And he does not want these occasional prayers. He just wants that that continual relationship with you as you draw near to him. God wants more than just the occasional prayers. That's why Jesus says that, that I will call you friends. You don't learn about prayer just by reading books or hearing a sermon. There comes a point when you just have to start somewhere. I wouldn't proclaim this morning to tell you I know all there is to know about prayer. I'm still learning. I'm still on this journey with you. But it's no different than any profession. It's no different than any hobby. If you want to play golf, you don't learn to play golf just by reading books on golf and never going out and trying to play golf. There comes a time when you've read enough books and and you've watched enough videos that you just got to go out there and try it. Pastor Chad, uh, he didn't learn music and learn to sing just by studying theory in college and all these other things and learning to read music. There was a time that Pastor Chad had to what? Had to start singing and start playing instruments. When I learned to fly fish, it was the same way. There's a point that you learn all you can, and you've got to go stand in the river and throw a fly. The same is true with prayer. That, that you learn and you engage God and you grow in Him by, by what? By, by reading His Word, by praying, by, by worshiping Him, by coming into community with Him and by drawing near to Him. See, the Scripture says that Abraham had this relationship with God. Effective prayer starts with a, relation, a friendship with God. And the second thing is this. Effective prayer starts, is also includes the intercession for others. I mean, here's what happens. Abraham begins walking with God. God tells Abraham, you know what? The sin of, of Sodom is great. And it's, it, it's come to my attention. And I am considering destroying Sodom. Now listen, Abraham knew my, my nephew Lot and his family are there. You know what Abraham began to do? He began to pray for Lot, his nephew, and his, his family. He began to, to pray on the behalf of others. Eight, Genesis 18.23 Then Abraham, here's that word, that phrase, drew near to God. How do you draw near to God? Prayer. Worship. Reading the word. Valuing it in your life. Then Abraham drew near to him and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Because he knows, he's interceding for, the, for not only the city, but for his nephew. He says, suppose there are 50 righteous uh, within the city. Will, will you then sweep away the, the place and, and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? So the Lord says, okay, I'll do that. And then so Abraham, I guess, thought, well, maybe I, maybe I shot too high. 
So he goes back to God, verse 27. And so Abraham answered him and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. So you see humility there, reverence there. He said, I am, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you, will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he says, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Then all of a sudden, Abraham kind of turned into this auctioneer in reverse. And he just started, he started whittling God down, right? Until, let's, get, let's just skip down, verse 32. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there. And so God answers, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy. Abraham knew he couldn't go any lower because he knew the count of Lot and his nephew and his family. And so Abraham knew he couldn't go any lower. But you know what? There are some times in prayer, maybe you've had those, when you have taken your request to him and you've laid them at his feet and that's all you can do. Because you know that he exists. He rewards those who seek him. You cannot force it to happen. You cannot make it happen. And so you take your request And you just lay them at his feet. You see, prayer includes intercession or prayer for others. It's it's not all about you. It's not all about your needs, your wants, and your desires. It's being willing to pray for others. Fact is, it's look at Jesus in Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion and he not only prayed for himself, but who else did he pray for? He prayed for others. He prayed for the he actually prayed for us as well. All the way through Scripture, we're encouraged to pray for one another and pray for each other. Paul, in, in, in Acts, prayed for, prayed for another church, right? right? The church in, in Rome. Paul, Paul began to intercede for them and pray for them. Uh, the Scripture says, it's a crazy deal, but Scripture says that Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus prays for us in Romans chapter 8. It says, Romans chapter 8 says, The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and prays for us and prays for us on our behalf. The scripture says that in Acts chapter 12, the apostle um, uh, Simon Peter was, was in prison and there was this life group meeting going on. And so they began to, to pray for him and, and he got set free. There's scriptures that says that we need to pray for one another and we need to encourage one another. Uh, Timothy in Romans 13 tells us that we need to pray for the people that God has put over us, the authorities that are over us. We need to pray for our politicians, whether we agree with their politics or not, whether we agree with their lifestyle or not, whether we agree with their decisions or not, that we are instructed to intercede for them and pray for them, that we're, we're to pray for our husbands or our wives or our children, that we're, 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 to, we're to pray for one we're not See, intercession is this. It is praying for someone else so they can experience a victory in their life. Whatever that victory may be, it may be an addiction, it may be a struggle, it may be a marital issue, it may be an issue that they're walking through. But this issue of prayers, see, prayer should just flow out of a, of a believing heart that just has that relationship with him that it's just... It's just a natural expression. Because why? Because you know that he exists, that he is good, and that he, he rewards those. For those who seek him and who follow him. I'll never forget, many years back, I was invited, uh, Rick Warren, uh, pastor of Saddleback and Purpose Driven Life and all that other stuff, he was invited and he spoke at Focus on the Family and he had a plane delay or whatever. He was going to have to spend the night in Colorado Springs and he was bored and so he got his assistant to get a handful of pastors together to have dinner with Rick Warren. So I was invited, and so I drove up, and 
and we're, we're sitting around a table, we're eating Italian food, and, and all of a sudden, in the course of the meal, Rick Warren took out his cell phone and handed it to his assistant and said, hey, snap pictures of these guys. And so his assistant, it wasn't a shock to him, it was just natural, he just took his cell phone, he just went around and took, and I thought, wow, that's weird. I mean, all dinner long, I'm thinking, how can I get a picture of Rick and not seem like a stalker? And so and here he's taking a picture of us. And so I asked his assistant, I said, hey, can I ask you, why did, why did Rick want a picture of us? And he goes, oh, he said, that's Rick's prayer list. And when he meets with pastors or he meets with people in his church, he takes a picture of them, and he has a folder in his phone. And during his prayer time, he intercedes for you. And he just walks through and goes picture after picture and lifts them up in prayer. It was a natural expression. It was a man that believes in prayer. Now, there's some ingredients of, of the prayer that, that, that Abraham prayed. You, uh, you, you see that, that he was reverent. I mean, he bowed. He understood who God was. I'm but ashes. I mean, he, there's reverence. The second thing is this. Abraham was specific. You know, so many times our prayers are just so generic. We wouldn't know if God answered them or not. God bless America. God bless my family. God bless my husband. God bless my wife. God bless my job. You know, God bless this. God bless that. Help me in this. But see, Abraham understood that prayers should be measurable. Because if not, how will you ever know? How will you ever gain any encouragement in your life if you never know that God has answered a prayer in your life? Your prayers, my prayers should be very specific. He was reverent. He was specific. Abraham was persistent. See, it wasn't just occasional prayer for Abraham. This, this was a lifestyle. And he just didn't stop. He was not only persistent, but Abraham was bold. Can you imagine being that bold to ask God to change his plans? To ask God to spare a city? You see, effective prayer is a relationship, a friendship with him. It's this issue of being willing to intercede and understand life is not all about you. And the third and last thing is this effective prayer always produces positive results. Sometimes it's in your heart. Sometimes it's in your life. But effective prayer always produces positive results. Now, let, let me tell you, we don't have time to walk all the way through Genesis 19. So let me, let me just kind of land this thing and, and just, just tie it with a story in just a second. But... Here's what happened in Genesis chapter 19. The sin of, 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 of Sodom was a, the sin of homosexuality. It was rampant, militant, and, and God did destroy the city. But Lot and his nephews and his family were spared, and they got out. As I've thought about this issue of prayer and in my life. Let me, let me just tell you. I don't understand why God answers some prayers positively as we'd like. And some prayers a different way. As a pastor, you know what? I prayed for people to get well and they've died. I prayed for marriages to stay together. They've divorced. I prayed for people to keep jobs. I prayed for people for all kinds of issues. And God did not answer the way that I would have liked him to answer. 
And for whatever reason, he didn't answer those prayers the way I thought he should or the way I wanted him to. But I have enough stories in my personal life of the dramatic things that God did as a result of prayer and drawing near to him that I know he is good and that he exists and that he rewards those who follow him and who walk with him. They don't all happen on our timetable and our time scale in the way we think they should. But there's something that just happens in prayer that I have enough stories and some of your stories of what God has done in your life to know that prayer is powerful. And God hears the prayers of a righteous man and a righteous woman. And God responds to those prayers. My daughter Brittany and her husband Corey have been married about six years. And they, of course, like a lot of couples, wanted to have children. And so we as a family, we walked through the pain and the hurt and the loss of, of three miscarriages. And Brittany had fear and wondered if she could ever get pregnant again and wonder if God would ever allow that in her life. And here a few months back, after working with, with a doctor in Colorado Springs, Brittany, as most of you know, uh, got pregnant. And, and we celebrated that. And we had text messaging set up and people were interceding. People were praying for us. And, and she had always lost her children in the first trimester. For the, for the first trimester, it was really critical for us. And I'll never forget, I was headed to Denver, and uh, I got a call that nobody wants to get uh, from my son-in-law, Corey. And he said, Brittany has lost a large amount of blood, and we're taking her, and we're on the way to the ER. And we'd all been through those signs. I don't know if you have ever called out to God aloud. Jeremiah 33 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. First time in my life that I know dramatically that I just called out to him in my truck and said, No. Save, you know, the baby, take care of my daughter, take care of my son in law. I started quoting scripture. I started just crying out to him. My wife Karen was notified. Other family members were notified. We had text messaging going on. Corey and Brittany didn't want anyone there. They just kind of wanted to walk through it on their own, meet with the doctors, and they got to the hospital, and it just seemed like forever. And the doctor is just a wonderful lady in Colorado Springs, and, and she walked into the, to the room and, and told Brittany and Corey, says, you know what, when I, when I heard your symptoms... When I knew it was the 10th week, when I read your chart, I was preparing myself having to break some pretty bad news to you. But I've looked at the sonogram, and your baby's intact. And he's okay. Listen, let me tell you something. We prayed for the other three as well. I don't know why. 
But I know this. I have enough stories, and many of you have enough stories to know that prayer is powerful. And when we draw near to Him, yeah, He wants good for you. It may not be on our timetable, and it may not be the way we want. The question is, do you draw near to Him? He waits. He waits. How long will you make Him wait? Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?